Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. I want to take a minute before we begin the 27th edition of Minor League Baseball's The Show Before The Show podcast, clever title C, and I want to congratulate uh, our former colleague Jake Siner on his doppelganger Ryan Williams <laughs> earning Chicago Cubs minor league pitcher of the year accolades. Congratulations and rest in peace, Jake. Yeah, I know. Now we now we have to send him to Chicago. To yeah, he's got to go get his award now. He either has to get his award or sit outside Wrigley Field with just his either way impersonator sign and just, put... <laughs> just sitting there with a cardboard sign. Yeah, one dollar a picture. <laughs> yeah, I look like here. Cubs minor league pitcher of the year, Ryan Williams. Yeah. Take a picture with me. Congratulations, Jake. Congratulations and rest in peace. Hope things are going well at the Associated Press. Hey, welcome in. It's episode number 27 of the show before the show. I'm Tyler Vaughn. He's Sam Dykstra. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Got a good show coming up today. Our first off-season edition of the show, really. We recapped the AAA uh, National Championship game last week with our our good pal Kelsey Hannigan. This week, full-on off-season mode. Blake Snell, Tampa Bay Rays Pitcher of the Year, Baseball America's Minor League Player of the Year, He will join us. Blake Snell is up for a whole ton of awards, and MILB.com is no exception for him. Going to catch up with Blake Snell, the Shoreline, Washington native. Is it Shoreline? Shoreline High School is the uh, school that he went. No, Shorewood High School, the town of Shoreline. That's confused me ever since the first time I talked to Blake Snell. (laughs) It's Seattle area. Yeah, Seattle-ish. He's up near UW, I think. It's, uh, you know, North Seattle. Seattle's awesome. If you haven't been to Seattle, go hang out with Blake Snell because he's cool and the city's cool. So Blake Snell's going to join us here in just a little bit to talk about his, uh, I guess you could call it a breakout 2015, even though he really broke out in 2014 and just kept it going. Um, so uh, a fantastic season, obviously, for Blake Snell. And uh, we'll hear uh, a lot about his year and what he anticipates going into 2016. We will also catch up with our good pal Benjamin Hill, who is on the road at the Promo Seminar in Columbus, Minor League Promo Seminar. For those of you who don't really know what it's about, it's kind of one of those more internal things. I think people in baseball and Minor League Baseball really know a lot about the Promo Seminar. Fans necessarily don't know quite as much. Uh, so we'll get an inside look as what's going on at the Promo Seminar this year and uh yeah we got a ton coming up we don't it's this show this show before the show we're we're just loaded first week of the off season yeah we still exist as you will know if you're you know this podcast has popped up in your feed your twitter feeds your you know if you're on milb.com listening to us there or you've seen it pop up in your itunes podcast feed um yeah we're still going and thankfully you know we've got a good one set up today like you said with blake snow i'm really looking forward to that talk with him you know given the way he was this year and, uh, yeah, I'm interested to, to see what Ben's going to say himself about the promo seminar, never having been there myself. Yeah, that'll be a cool conversation. So that's coming up in just a little while. And uh, before we dive into all that, first off, you can check out the show before the show. As Sam noted on iTunes, you can head over there and rate and review and give us a subscription. You can also get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, things you want us to talk about, send us your suggestions. And with that, we're going to dive into uh, our first topic of the week in which we don't have any on-field minor league topics. So we're going to talk about some former minor league guys who are still on the field this year the prospect if you have not checked out sam's tool shed column kind of the the wrap-up 2015 edition there is a whole heck of a lot of great stuff in it and basically talks about the biggest lessons of this year and one of the lessons of this year 
It's almost kind of bittersweet in that I don't think we're ever going to see a freshman class like this ever again. And with that in mind, there are only two rookies of the year and one in each league, and that does not seem fair at all for this season. Yeah, that's just kind of the way it's always been. You know, you go back and look at rookie of the year voting, and it's usually it's a pretty clear picture of who's going to win it. And, yeah. You know, we'll talk about this a little bit, but there's in one league, there's certainly a clear picture who's going to win other one, not so much, but there's just so many different candidates this year that in any other year could win. Um, you know, it is unfortunate, but I think we're going to remember the class more than, you know, this being the year of Chris Bryan or the year of Carlos Correa anymore. I think it's going to be a, a year about the whole class, not just any individuals. Well, let's talk about a few of them, uh, yeah. because with with the award season coming up, you know, relatively soon, that is going to be one of the most hotly contested things. And, and let's knock the National League out of the way first, because the National League, <laughs> I think, is a is a much quicker call. And right. you and I were talking about this a, a little bit ago. Beginning of the season, even the middle of the season, there were a lot of contenders for this award. And now it doesn't really look like that's the case anymore because of a variety of different things. Uh, Jung Ho Gong was in that conversation for a while, not a traditional candidate in that he's an older guy came over uh, from the KBO, the Korea baseball organization and is not the typical 21, 22 year old, that type of thing, an older guy, but still technically a rookie and would have been in that conversation. And then obviously suffered a season ending injury. And now is kind of removed from, from the, the realm of this topic. Uh, Noah Syndergaard was there for a while. Noah Syndergaard, I think could still that you could make a case for that. Um, even some guys like we talked about Matt Duffy, the San Francisco giants who played 97 games, just at double a, and then was up last year, part of that world series championship team for the San Francisco giants. This year has been great, but Chris Bryant seems like he's the clear-cut front runner. And I had a, a conversation with his dad over the offseason leading into this year where he said one of our goals is to have Chris win National League Rookie of the Year and Joey, Joey Gallo, one of Chris's best friends as a kid, win American League Rookie of the Year. Joey Gallo hasn't gotten that experience yet. He could do it next year. But uh, it looks like the first leg of that is going to be complete. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Take it any way you want, any, any kind of statistical analysis, any kind of eyeball test you want. Uh, Bryant, I think, is the clear-cut guy there. Um, you know, he, he leads, as of you know Tuesday when we're film, or recording this, um, he leads all rookies in the majors with a 6.2 war. I mean, that's definitely, nor, in a normal year in which Bryce Harper isn't going off, that's a number that's going to at least get you some MVP consideration um, you know, he's got a 281, 372, 502 slash line. I mean, that's, that's a slash line of a, you know, five year, six year, 10 year veteran, uh, 26 homers, 99 RBIs again, as of Tuesday, um, all he needs is one more RBI and, uh, he becomes the first NL rookie to reach 100 in that category since Ryan Zimmerman all the way back in 2006. So this is not exactly a, a common, um, rookie campaign for a guy like Brian. And, you know, it, as much as we talked him up during last off season and you know briefly in the spring when we were saying when when he's going to get the call he is ready he's certainly shown us that he is ready and uh, he's maybe even exceeded expectations a little bit you know the way he, his power has carried over with those 26 homers and you know he's he's a key cog of a very good Cubs very good and very young Cubs lineup right now and uh, yeah I don't think there's any argument that he's the NL choice. There are, you know, some other guys who, again, were in the mix early on in the season. Jock Peterson was there for a while. Kyle Schwarber, I think, even at one time looked like he was going to put himself in the conversation. Uh, but Chris Bryant, I mean, what he's been able to bring, even, you know, the people who rag on Chris Bryant for what he does defensively, if you look at his metrics, his his numbers are not bad defensively. He's not going to be a gold glove winning third baseman in all likelihood. But what he provides for you at the plate justifies putting him anywhere i mean he's a replacement level a little bit better defensively but the fact that you bring a kid up who provides that jolt provides that big power bat in the middle of the lineup and now you can pair with a guy like schwarber with a lineup that's only going to get better and more talented as this wave continues to come into chicago uh i think he's your guy in the national league jock peterson looked like he was running away with it and then just fell off the map and that has been one of the weird storylines of 2015 as well even lost his starting job uh at a time the the same day that he clinched 30-30 last year in the Pacific Coast League. He was benched this year in the Major League. So it shows you how difficult of a jump that is to make. But 
I think Chris Bryant is, is that guy in the National League. The American League is where it gets interesting. And we've got two names that I'm going to let Sam talk about because this is what the conversation seems to come down to. Francisco Lindor, the Cleveland Indians, Carlos Correa, the Houston Astros. For Again, for a long time, it looked like Correa, this award, was his to lose. Lindor has been so good. It has been unbelievable defensively that he asserts himself as a very worthy contender. Sam, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's. I got to say, it's been kind of surprising to see the way Lindor has taken to the majors. I mean, we've always said he is a glove first guy. I mean, he, he'll be on highlight reels for his entire career for his work at shortstop, and that's exciting to watch. And you know, if you're somebody who likes digging into those defensive metrics, that that's that's where I thought you were going to get the most value out of him. But you know, he is showing you know a very capable major league bat. He's hitting 319. Uh, this year for the Indians, 93 games. I mean, him and Correa have played very similar amounts of, of time. This is not one person getting an advantage because they played more. Uh, Lindor has 412 played appearances. Correa has 408. Uh, you know, so, so while Lindor is hitting 319, Correa is hitting 281. Um, not quite putting together the defense that Lindor has. He's much like you were saying with uh, Bryant. He's much more replacement level at shortstop. But not that. I don't think that's going to be his future position. I think it is. He's still a young guy and, you know, is going to grow into that spot. But, um, you know, I, I think Lindor has certainly been better defensively and he's shown a better bet. And, you know, the one advantage Correa has right now is, is, is power. Uh, Correa's hit 21 homers this year for the Astros, which is a really good number for a young guy like him, somebody, you know, who's only uh, 21 years old. He just turned 21 last week, actually. Uh, compared to Lindor, who has just 11. But you look at any other metric, you know, Lindor is beating him in on-base percentage. He's, uh, they have the exact same amount of runs scored. You know, so Correa has that power advantage. It's a little flashier that way. But um, given what Lindor has been able to do in the field, he is leading right now in war, uh, according to Fangrass. He's got a 4.1 war. Uh, Carlos Correa has a 3.4, um, again, as of Tuesday. Um, so right now I would give that advantage to Lindor. That's not something I, you know, would have expected to say two months ago. I, I would have thought Lindor, you know, started off a little rough, you know, would have kind of stayed at that point. You know, I think next year would have been his breakout year, but, uh, yeah, right now, if, if I had a vote, I don't, I want to stress that I do not have a vote, but if I had a vote, uh, I think I would give it to Lindor first and uh, Correa second. There are a couple other ratings on fan graphs that kind of show the the dichotomy offensively and defensively between these two guys. Offensive runs above average and defensive runs above average. Carlos Correa offensively, 18.3 is his rating there. Francisco Lindor is 14.1. We know Correa adds a little bit more with the bat in terms of his power. He's hit 21 home runs this season. He's driven in 61. That's compared with 11 home runs and 49 runs batted in for Lindor. But defensively, for the category defensive runs above average, Correa is a plus 0.4. Lindor is plus 11.3. So yeah. that kind of shows you the difference between those two. And the crazy thing about that is when you watch Carlos Correa play shortstop, he looks like an all-world guy. And then you watch Lindor and you think, well, you know, all right, maybe this gets a little <laughs> better. Like, that's how good these guys are. Right, yeah. And, and the fact that they are so young, it just makes it so much more exciting. I think, you know, every time we saw – uh, a highlight come across the, you know, a Twitter feed or on sports center. It, it's always, can you believe how young these guys are? They're making these plays looking like, you know, we, we lost Derek Jeter last year and everybody liked to go back to the Derek Jeter plays. No matter what you think about, you know, his play at shortstop, he did make his amount of highlight real moves. And everybody's thinking like this, these guys could be the next two really flashy shortstops, you know, joining Anderson Simmons kind of in that category. Um, but yeah, just, you know, you look at, the kind of harder data, and Lindor certainly has a leg up in that category. So it's going to be a fun race. I mean, toward the end of the season, it seems like we'll have more contenders than just these because uh, that's how good this rookie class has been. But give us the war numbers against him because you had him in the column, and this is by the 2015 rookie class by far has accumulated the greatest aggregate war rating of any rookie class ever, and it's not even close. What are the numbers as of today? Okay, so – this this class, this current class of 2015, as of Tuesday, has a war of 79.2, a collective war. That means all of the players who are technically have rookie status here this year have collected a 79.2 war. 
the second closest. I wrote about this in the toolshed a little bit. Because that number uh, doesn't mean anything in a vacuum. And right. wait until you hear the comparison as to the next best class behind it. Right. It, it's kind of like I go back to the, the stat cast things. They, they always talk about these guys right. 18 miles an hour, and it's like, okay, but I don't know. Right. What does that. that mean? We need to put this in, a, in, a, in proper context. So the second highest rookie class of all time, this class is at 79.2. Second class, which is 1987, is 49.4. This 49.4. Right. At probably this evening. I mean, at, again, we're on Tuesday. Probably tonight. Probably by the time you hear this, the 2015 class will be worth 30 more wins. You know, in, in the idea of war, 30 more wins than the entire class of 1987. I That's mean, that is, that is just so insane. This is so much of an outlier of a class. And I... I tweeted this a little bit, but it's just like we're never going to see a class like this again. You want to think like this is going to be a trend. You know, there's going to be more rookies coming. That, and I think there, that will be part of it. I think major league organizations going forward are going to trust their rookies a little more. They're more cost effective. Yeah. You're not going to try to sign a guy for $100 million if you think you have a guy at double A who can make that jump in June. You know, that's there. there is something there, but I, we're never going to see this again, I, at least in our lifetime. Just to kind of put in a little bit of perspective, if you think, well, 1987, who were some of the names in that rookie class? Here are a few. Uh, Rafael Palmero, Mark McGuire, Fred McGriff, Ellis Burks, Devon White, Matt Williams, Paul O'Neill, Jay Bell, B.J. Surhoff, Ken Caminiti. Those are just the hitters on the pitcher's <laughs> side. Two Hall of Famers lead that class. Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. David Cohn debuted that year. Chuck Finley debuted that year. I mean, it's not like this is some class of – people who oh they had great rookie seasons and then they kind of fell off i mean that's an all-time class yeah I mean, if we were to look at that before this year i mean if we discussed this you know on the podcast in the spring what's the greatest class you would say that one and everybody would go ooh and ah and just think like that 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 may never be touched again i think bo jackson was that year too which just automatically gives it this shine of athleticism and you know promise and uh yeah i, I he I was just, by I the way 8.3 war right and um, I just uh, it, it makes it all the more astonishing to think like how are we going to talk about the Correas, the Cinderguards, the Lindors, the Buxtons, you know, down the line? It, is this going to hold up? It, it's certainly a good sign that it will. And uh, yeah, we'll have to revisit this in ten years and see just just how well it hung, held up. It's pretty amazing. Uh, but I mean, to look at those names and. The that's wins above replacement for position players. 8.3 was Bo Jackson's rating in that. So look at the and he's like, you know, way down the list in that rating. And uh, it's it's pretty incredible stuff. And go read Sam's Toolshed column because there's a lot of really, really good stuff in it. And uh, some of the rookies of the future are being uh, accumulated, tabulated, ranked by Baseball America. They do their postseason league ranking list. And we're going to transition to that next top 20 prospects in each league rolling through some of the lower level leagues right now. And uh, so far, I mean, again, a lot of really young talent. This is the minor league version of that type of class. And, I mean, just some of your early reactions, some of your thoughts of these, Sam, because it seems like we might be a few years away from seeing some of these guys really make their biggest minor league impacts. Um, but, you know, I mean, names like Kyle Tucker, uh, Trent Clark, Brendan Rogers, the guys who really had their first – uh, feet dipping experience in pro ball. Now we're kind of we're assessing the aftermath or the the wake of of those campaigns. Yeah, and uh, you know one that it kind of attracted me to this and why I kind of wanted to bring it up was the uh, FSL. Um, they they released their top twenty prospects in the Florida State League. These are all guys who appeared there. That's the highest uh, level that's released so far. They'll continue coming right. out over the next couple of weeks. Right, and the reason I want to bring it up specifically is Michael Conforto. You know, part of that rookie class we were just talking about. Part, you know, I, I know a lot of Mets fans here kind of want to make the suspicious argument for him, and that he's been a big help for the Mets, and the Mets are making the playoffs, so maybe he should be considered for rookie of the year. He's he's not going to supplant Bryant, obviously, but you know, they, a lot of people want to believe that the the boost he's given them. Um, obviously, started out the year at St. Lucie, he was considered the number two prospect in the Florida State League, I, and that's after you know seeing what we saw of him in the FSL with Binghamton in the Eastern League and now with the Mets in the Majors. And the guy they put ahead of him was Alex Reyes, who I know we've talked about a ton, tons of times on the, on the podcast, written about him a lot. Um, we'll talk about him more, you know, coming up with, with Milby's and things like that. But uh, pitch for Palm Beach this year just racked up the strikeout numbers. Um, you know, a guy who can touch triple digits with his fastball. 
Um, that's what really stood out to me is that we have a guy who's at this point an established major league prospect in Michael Conforto, and they think you know Alex Reyes could be even better than him, even though he hasn't. You know, he's reached Double A ball. He's he's pitched for Springfield, um, done fairly well there, but they think his ceiling is even higher than Conforto's. Um, kind of going down the line there, they've got Austin Meadows, uh, who we'll see in the AFL this year. Uh, wrote about him a little bit. Willie Adamas, the the Rays' top prospect at number four, and Jeff Hoffman, who pitched in the Florida State League with the Blue Jays affiliate in Dunedin, um, obviously now with the Rockies. Uh, so those are your top five guys. Amir Garrett, who arguably was the FSL Pitcher of the Year, I think he did win that award. Um, he comes in at number six. So you know that. Out of the leagues that they've released so far, that looks like the most packed, um, and that's without a year that you know really had a standout prospect in it. Um, somebody who really, you know, somebody like an AJ Reed who really took things and you know dominated the league. A lot of the guys who did dominate kind of got moved up a little quick. Um, one other thing in that that league, uh, one guy who, who did stand out for me, um, wrote about him a little bit was Luke Weaver uh, at Palm Beach. You know, a guy with a really really good changeup. Um, you know, first year, first full season coming out of Florida State, had a 1.62 ERA in Palm Beach. Uh, they ranked him as the number 17 prospect in the FSL this year. I think that's a little low. Um, I'm a little higher on him just the way, you know, he he was pitching in a, you know, pretty good friendly, pitcher-friendly atmosphere. But, um, you know, the way he held down in his first full season, uh, you know, I'm a little higher on him going forward than that. But, you know, that's the way Baseball America looks at it. And, uh Kind of for you, Tyler, what what kind of stood out to you looking over these? I know you mentioned Kyle Tucker, a couple other things. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll pick uh, one of the guys in the Florida State League as well, just to as sort of an under-the-radar guy. I know we're, we're not doing under-the-radar prospects necessarily with these lists because they give you a lot of the top-level guys to keep an eye out for, but um, a name that caught my eye was the number eight-ranked prospect in the Florida State League, and that's Anthony Alford, who played for Dunedin this year. And mm-hmm. Alford is an interesting case because the Blue Jays drafted him in the third round of the 2012 uh, MLB draft, and Anthony Alford was a football player as well and went to college and uh, played baseball and football, played at Ole Miss, uh, and then decided this past offseason that he wanted to full-on – dive into baseball uh it was actually heading into the 2015 minor league season but he kind of felt like he hadn't gotten necessarily the at-bats to be as successful uh as he could be just being a baseball player so he was sent down uh after a, a pretty good season overall combined in very very limited experience in 2014 between bluefield and lansing he only played in 14 total games but a pretty good uh slash line 259 333 389 but then he was sent down to the australian baseball league over the off season got kind of his first work there and then jumps right in and in his first pro season first full wire-to-wire pro season 50 games with class a lansing 57 with class a advanced in eden overall a 298 398 421 slash line that's an 820 ops and i mean this is a guy who for the first time in his life is focusing on baseball full time 21 years old he's still got all the time in the world his athleticism is insane so anthony alford to me, I think he falls a lot off of people's radar because they didn't know which way he was going to go. But now that he's focusing strictly on baseball, he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Um, we talked a lot about uh, Andrew Benintendi of the Boston Red Sox organization, who was promoted right. after being drafted first-round pick this year, promoted in-season out of the New York Penn League, where he was so, so good for the Lowell Spinners. He's the top-ranked prospect by B.A. in that league, uh, and I think by next year could be the top-ranked prospect in the league two or three levels higher that that's a very impressive thing to see, especially because, you know, Sam, as you noted, when we initially had that conversation, the Red Sox are reluctant to do that a lot with guys who are just coming out of the draft. More often than not, they'll let them work an entire season uh, in that first level and just get their that experience under themselves professionally. That's a very impressive one to me. And, uh, and Jake Gatewood stood out to me, a Pioneer League product in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Gatewood is... Another one of the sort of under-the-radar guys in that system especially, and the Brewers are in such a transitional uh, situation right now with how they have been uh, trying to build up the system over the last couple of years. But what I liked about Gatewood was 
the Brewers assigned him very aggressively. He was a competitive balance A round pick last year in 2014. Uh, went to the Arizona League, struggled there, a 528 OPS in 50 games last season in 2014. They tried him at the Class A full season level this year, 209, 275, 316, a 591 OPS. That was in 55 games. But in the Pioneer League, where he's 20 years old, he's kind of around some guys he knows, uh, he gets a chance to... And this is a move after uh, all of his time at the full season Class A level. He gets a chance to go out in a more comfortable environment, and he really blew up. An 807 OPS, uh, plays pretty good defense at shortstop as well. So Gatewood kind of stuck out to me as one of those lower-ranked guys as well. Um, And the short season leagues... It's a crapshoot a lot of the time because these guys are so, so young and they're so far off from, you know, in a lot of cases, they're far off from full season ball period. But mm-hmm. these are the toughest ones to rank because of that. Yeah. You mentioned the, the Pioneer League and there was another guy I wanted to get to kind of falls under that category of, you know, tough to kind of predict because uh, the guy I want to talk about is Isan Diaz, uh, shortstop in the Arizona Diamondbacks um, system. You know, he was. I think the player of the year in the Pioneer League this year, but hasn't exactly caught on too much. He, he hit just 187, you know, in the rookie level Arizona League last year. Um, even after its midseason update, you know, MLB.com still didn't put him in the top 30 of the D-back system, which is a, a solid system, but not anything, you know, it, uh, it, I wouldn't put it necessarily upper echelon, um, Astros category, that type of thing. But then in 68 games this year, he hit 360, had a 436 OBP, 640 slugging percentage. I mean, this guy just kind of went off. Um, you know, he was a competitive balance pick in 2014, so there was always that possibility. But he was just 19 years old um, this year. So he was one of those guys who you, you look at the stats, and they obviously pop off the page, but you don't know if that's matching the scouting Pioneer Leagues a little bit, you know, at least a little more hitter-friendly than um, some of the other lower-level leagues. Um, but you know, Baseball America decided to put him number three um, in the Pioneer League behind Brendan Rodgers and Tyler Stevenson uh, draft picks from this year. High draft picks, obviously. Um, so I'll be interested to see just where, you know, he kind of carries that from here, what happens when he's challenged in a full season. Um, but it, it was nice to see somebody who you know, really dominated a level get acknowledged for that in, in these types of rankings. How about, uh, I mean, no conversation would be complete without just touting whoever the Astros have uh, in these (laughs) leagues. But how about Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron? Kyle Tucker is the number three ranked prospect in the Gulf Coast League behind Red Sox right-hander Anderson Espinosa and Victor Robles, an outfielder in the national system. He's the top ranked prospect in the Appalachian League. Daz Cameron is the number four prospect in the GCL. He's right behind Kyle Tucker there. He's the number five prospect in the Appy League. Not bad. I'm no, it's pretty good. Yeah. Jump a level and be ranked in the top five in both for two different guys. <laughs> Not bad. Well, I mean, that's what the Astros were hoping when they <laughs> when they went through this whole you know draft process of of taking Tucker first with the fifth pick, and then everybody you know worried about uh, signability issues with Daz Cameron, and they really set themselves up well to to take him with the thirty seventh pick and get him the money he was looking for, and now they're you know they're being rewarded. I mean, these rankings you know they they actually mean they're you know weight and paper or you know on uh on the digital screen on which you're reading it but uh yeah at, at so far and as far as we can you know um acknowledge these and look at these right now you know that's exactly what the astros are looking for speaking of rankings they're, they're the end-all, be-all of everything. As we all know, the prospect <laughs> game never fails based on rankings, but a guy who has rocketed up in every ranking system basically everywhere over the last couple of seasons is Tampa Bay Rays left-handed pitching prospect Blake Snell, MLB.com's number 41 overall prospect and the second-ranked prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays organization and one of our favorite guys in the game to talk to, Blake Snell, to talk about yet another breakout season. He joins the show next. <laughs> One of the guys who we have really had a lot of fun watching over the last couple of seasons as he has burst onto the national scene, the prospect scene, is Tampa Bay Rays prospect Blake Snell, the number two prospect in the entirety of the organization, who uh, after a very, very long and I would imagine very exciting and uh, at times probably very exhausting campaign done for uh, the 2015 season with a whole lot of accolades who have already uh, come your way and are still coming your way. Blake, congratulations on a great year, man, and, uh, and being done with it, being close to it. How does it feel kind of in the immediate reaction to this season? Uh, yeah, no, it feels, it feels good to just kind of look back on the year that I had and what I was able to accomplish. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm really 
really happy about it, but also at the same time, there's still uh, the big leagues, the ultimate goal and where I want to be. So it's kind of cool to have an off-season run and probably be going into the big spring training and uh, being able to hopefully try to compete for the job. So I'm really excited about that. And, uh, yeah, I got my off-season started off this week, so I'm ready to get after it and chase the dream. Well, and I mean, especially with the way that last season kind of put you on the map and to be able to follow it up with such a good year this year. Um, I mean, just kind of take us through what this whole ride has been like to go from, you know, I mean, two years ago, you're a 20 year old kid in the class A uh, Midwest League. There's a whole lot of kids who are like you. And then all of a sudden you separate yourself with an outstanding 2014. And this year, I mean, all the awards, Baseball America's Minor League Player of the Year, uh, the Rays with just all kinds of plaudits and praise for you. And to to look back at where you were a couple of seasons ago and now know that you're going to go into February and go into March and be able to to finally make that push toward winning a big league rotation spot. What does that feel like now? Uh, yeah, it, it it's kind of weird because it doesn't it hasn't like set in that I have a shot to be a big leaguer yet. It hasn't like really hit me, but it's just kind of after the year I had to really just sit down and think about what I accomplished and what I have to look forward to in the next this next year coming up. Uh, it, I was really just proud of everything that I did and how how serious I really did take it. And, how it paid off for really pushing myself every day. So that was really cool to just see that I put in a lot of work and a lot of effort. And to be able to do all that was really, it was just a really cool experience for me to have because in 2013, I had a really, like, really tough year. And for me to overcome that the last two seasons is something that I've been really proud about. Uh, just maturing, growing up, and really taking it serious is something that. I thought I'd been really proud with of myself is that I really had grown up and going into spring training, I really feel that I'm, I'm going to compete at the best of my ability and I'm getting that much better as, as the days and the years go on. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And just kind of going back to kind of this year in review, um, you know, looking at the numbers, like Tyler said, that they obviously pop off the page and the way that the season started for you with, 46 straight innings of scoreless ball between Charlotte and Montgomery. You know, everybody was paying attention to every start you made there through April and May um, and obviously all all the way through the year. But when did it kind of start to feel like a special year for you? When did it, you know, start to feel like this will be my year to finally break into, you know, top of the race system, climb a little bit, obviously going all the way to Durham. But uh, when did that finally kind of kick in for you? I really want to say once uh, it really kicked in and I made the goal that I've been wanting to make for a long time was be a, a features player. So when I made the features team, that's when I kind of felt like, wow, this is all coming together. That's when I kind of told myself I got to keep pushing me better. I can't be, I can't accept it. That's when I kind of felt like, all right, I can either go bad from here or I can go even better. So when I made the features game, I was like, that's when I was kind of like, oh, my God, I'm actually, like, it didn't seem real until I was at the field in Cincinnati and, like, looking at everyone, just, like, kind of shocked and awed that I was there. So, I was really, that's when I started to really, it's, like, set in, like, wow, I had a really good year and everything that I did that off season's really paid off and I want to keep pushing to be even better. I can't be satisfied with this. So, that was really cool for me to have that moment. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, one thing it kind of read and, you know, through talking to you and, you know, some of your coaches this year was what, you know, made it such a special year was kind of the development of your off-speed stuff and your breaking stuff between your slider and the, the curveball. How were you able to make those off-speed pitches better this season? What what kind of work went into that? I really believe what made all those pitches good was just coming in the spring training. I cut, all, I cut a lot of bad weight off. I came in in really good shape, and I continued to stay in good shape. I just continued to stay on top of what I was eating and how I was working out, and I thought that allowed me to understand my body and to repeat the mechanics the same, to where when I was adjusting, I didn't really have to adjust any grips or anything, but when I was adjusting my body to continue to do the same thing on the curveball, as I do the changeup and the slider, and just really have the same release point. That's kind of when I noticed, like, wow, if I just stay in good shape, I'll be in sync with my body, and it'll make my off speed that much better. And it, I noticed it as the season went on is 
everything just continued to get better and better and better. So that was cool that just keeping myself in shape and staying within my body is going to allow me to have that much bite on my curveball, depth on my slider and change up. And it allows me to stay through my fastball. So I, I never really noticed how, how important it was for me to be with my body. So that was really cool to really understand that taking care of my body is going to allow me to have a good curveball, a good slide, a good changeup, and stay consistent with the fastball in my location. So that was a huge point that I needed for everything to really start working. Blake, one of the things you've really improved on, too, and this is something that the Rays knew was going to come along with you, but your command and your control have gotten so much better year after year. And you said, you know, you kind of noticed as the season went on, you continue to get better with that stuff. And that seems like it's been the case for the last couple of years. But it's one thing for a guy to know that he's getting better as the season goes along. It's another thing for a guy to do that while climbing levels and facing increasingly more difficult competition. And you got better as you went to double A and then better from there as you went to triple. AAA, does that, I mean, what do you think that says about you as a player to know that the better bats that you're facing, the tougher approaches that you're facing, you're still able to not only combat that, but learn from that and improve because of it? Yeah, I just think uh, it was, I felt more like I had to throw, I had to throw strikes. When I, like the higher I got, I felt I had to do better. And for me to do better, I have to locate better. I have to think a lot harder about what I'm going to do to each hitter. But I really just trusted the fastball. I threw, I didn't really thought I had to locate the fastball as much because I felt throwing my fastball up in the zone was a really good pitch for me to throw. So, I don't know, I just felt like the confidence that I had behind them just kept growing. So, as the levels kept going, I got even more confident in the fastball or the pitches that I was throwing. So, that was really cool to see that as I went higher, I stepped my game with that much more. Yeah, and, like, just kind of – you, you touched on this at the opening of our interview here, but uh, you know, you said you're going into a li- little different of an off season here, and you know, knowing what you what you did this year and what's possible next year. Um, what is this off season like for you? Um, you know, knowing you you've now pitched and succeeded at, at as high as AAA. You know, Major League Spring is is a possibility come you know February and March. Um, how is your preparation different this off season going into next year? Yeah, uh, I haven't really changed a whole lot due to the fact that what I did last year, it did so good for this year. I'm tweaking a little things. I'm going to eat a lot better. Uh, I'm going to only drink water. and <laughs> It's just more, I just kind of want to cleanse myself and make myself that much stronger. So I felt like I did everything I should have done last offseason correct. So this offseason, I'm not changing anything workout-wise. I'm just going to throw a little diet in there and kind of take off a little bit of bad weight, but still... Yeah, everything's going to be the same. I'm just, uh, I don't feel I need to really change anything except for my eating habits. That was the only thing I felt that I needed to change because there would be times when I went to the field and I felt really bad about when I was running, I'd get cramps, I feel tired just because I wasn't drinking or eating right. So I feel for me to change that and pre-cook my meals to where when the season does come, I'll be ready to eat a lot better and stay in even better shape. That's something that I really need to work on, so. That's the one thing that I'm focusing on this offseason is just how I eat, how I drink, making sure everything is in line for me to be that much better when I go into camp. So, so what is the Blake Snell diet then? The new new version of it, not to you know make it a like Weight Watchers type thing and brand it. But, <laughs> but, but what is the uh, Blake Snell new and improved diet? Yeah, it's just uh, I'm gonna drink a lot of water as much as I can and. Uh, I'm just eating more healthy. There's no fast food. There's no going out to eat. I'll have one day where I'll have a cheat meal. Um, but, yeah, yeah, no, it's just uh, eating good good food, a lot of vegetables, fruits, uh, a lot of chicken and sweet potatoes. Um, yeah, just real healthy. I'm, I'm making, like, for my snacks, I'll have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then for my snacks in between those, I'll have, like, little like shakes with uh, like a banana, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry shake with a couple of veggies down in there as well. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of a cleanse. So, and I mean, uh, you're a Seattle area guy too. So this is like no Dick's Drive-In, no Tim's Cascade chips. Like this is the tough area of the country for you to not get to eat all that stuff. No Ivars. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> the first week I got back. I'm not going to lie. I'm down. I was, was bad. Atta boy. 
Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I'm a guy that really enjoys food, so when I had to tell myself I can't eat any of this, I told myself I'm definitely going crazy for about a week. <laughs> so I had milkshakes, burgers. I had, yeah, I was not eating anything that even said health solid. <laughs> so I was proud about that. But now it's the off season. I got to get ready, and it's a it's a big off season for me because my dream is so close to me. After a season like this, too, I feel like you've earned, obviously, a uh, a week of cheating with food. So there, I don't think there's any issue with that. Um, Blake, let me ask you about this. Your uh, high school program in Washington has produced now a handful of, uh, of guys who've been drafted at Shorewood High School in Shoreline, Washington. And of the four guys who were drafted, three of them came out of your class. And Trevor Mitsui currently is in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. He was drafted in 2011 as well, uh, actually by the Rays, and then went to school and was taken uh, out of the University of Washington. Uh, Kevin Moriarty was also a, a draft member from your class. That was in the 47th round in 2011. Didn't play in the minors. But what is the what was it about that class? I mean, in a school that, you know, in a, a cold weather climate quote unquote as the you know the high school and college baseball people might say um what was it about your development and and having some teammates that were successful as well uh what made you guys so good to get three picks out of that class yeah um it was kind of crazy because we all knew that all of us i mean Chevron city was going to get drafted because i thought he was one of the best backs in the draft to be honest just by the way here i mean if you look at the high school numbers it's unreal it's ridiculous with you guys struggle a little bit and not with the Diamondbacks. He's doing pretty good. Moriarty, I felt, could have been really good going pro. He had Tommy John, so that kind of hurt hurt his whole thing, and that's why he stopped playing. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy because all of us knew we were really good players, and we all pushed each other to be better and better. And even the players all around us, there was a lot of guys that went to play college ball and so forth. But we knew we had a really good team, and – it's it's been good all the way down to Ian Oxenvall. I just got drafted last year, left handed pitcher, went fifth round to the Cardinals, and uh, he he's going to be he's going to be really impressive. I think he's a guy that everyone's going to need to watch because he I'm working out with him. He's doing the same thing as me. I'm in his house right now because we're both trying to get better. So it's kind of cool that even the younger guys like they saw how good we pushed ourselves to be good and. They're buying into the program, and they really want to be the best they can be as well. So I kind of took Ian Oxenvall in my wing, and I'm going to kind of do the best I can do to help him be the best player he can be because I do see there's a lot of talent out there. All right, Blake, and uh, we'll, we'll leave you on this one. Um, you know, we talked a lot about about how, you know, 2015 was kind of a dream season for you and how everything kind of clicked. What what would the dream scenario be for the 2016 season? What was what does a dream season look like next year for you? Yeah, uh, I haven't really set anything too crazy. I just I want to spend the best I can be. Uh, I want to do the best I can do and hopefully make the big league club. And uh, yeah, I just, just want to do the best I can do every day. And I really believe that I'm a big leader and I can really help the Rays up there. So I hope they think the same. And I'm just going to come in ready to try to take a starting job and do the best I can do. And My goal is I want to be an all-star. I want to be the best I can be. I really believe that I can compete up there with the best. And uh, Yeah, I want to be an all-star. I know how hard that is, but I feel that's something that I've been working for, and I just got to keep pushing myself to do the best I can be. So I know that's a huge task, but I really believe that off the season I just had, off the off-season I'm going to have, I'm just pushing to be better and better and better. So... I'm really excited to see what it has in store. Whatever happens, happens. But, yeah, I'm, I'm working to be the best I can do. Four playoff appearances in six years for the Tampa Bay Rays uh, up until 2013. Last couple of seasons have been a little bit leaner, but we know there's a whole lot of talent on the way for the next great chapter in Tampa Bay. And uh, Blake Snell is at the forefront of that conversation, one of our favorite guys to talk to in all of baseball. And uh, be on the lookout for him because 2016 is going to be another big one. One of the first landmarks of the minor league baseball offseason is the promotional seminar, and our own Benjamin Hill is there in Columbus, Ohio. Howdy, Ben. 
Hey guys, how you doing? Good, good. We're good. Uh, you know decidedly less promo seminar involved right now. And for the people who don't really know, we were kind of talking earlier in the show. Uh, the the promo seminar is an industry hallmark. I mean, it's one of the things that people really build toward promotional staffs, front office staffs during the season. It's a huge event for the off season. But for for those people who don't really know about the promo seminar, give us kind of a description. Yeah, the promo seminar. It happens. Uh, this time of year, every year, either late September, early October, in a minor league host city. I'm in Columbus right now. Uh, last year it was in Oklahoma City. Um, and it is basically, it's had the tagline for a number of years of one idea is worth the price of admission. And that's basically how it operates. Meaning, if you work for a minor league team, at, at least one idea you can bring back to your team and it'll make it all worthwhile. Because, as you guys know, in this industry, people do not uh, keep secrets. They do not hold things close to the vest. Every team operates in its own market, and therefore uh, what might work for some for one team might work for everyone, and they just share those ideas. So to sum it all up, it's just three days of idea sharing, uh, some presentations in a big ballroom, and then also some smaller, quote, uh, group therapy sessions. And I was just at one of those, and uh, we'll be heading to another one uh shortly so yeah a lot of networking uh, a lot of smoothing a lot of uh, talking about what works and what doesn't in the world of minor league baseball yeah and w- what is one of these uh you know presentations like that um you know wh- what do who gives them and you know or who gets to give them and what did what kind of topics really come up in these presentations well it, it really depends i mean today we just started so we had uh Ken Schnacky from Columbus talk about opening their new ballpark and uh, trying to keep the honeymoon period going as uh, long as possible after opening a new ballpark. We had a guy uh, with the El Paso Chihuahua talking about uh, ticket analytics and uh, using analytics to target your audience and really see where your fans are coming from, getting their zip codes, uh, mapping the demographics and realizing what segment of your fan base responds to what type of marketing and why. Um, so it really runs the gamut in that way. The uh, group therapy sessions, um, which are smaller, all have different topics like marketing or community relations or promotions. So I usually go to the promotions one. Uh, the one I just saw was uh, Kristen Call, who does promotions for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. She was moderating a discussion about uh, pop culture theme nights and uh, you know how how they happen, how you brainstorm, how you implement your ideas, and that sort of thing. So it it, it really varies who gets to speak. Um, it's organized by minor league baseball uh, headquarters, you know, in St. Petersburg. So they're planning it all year. They have some people talk every year. Uh, some people, then they're trying to bring new people in. I'll be speaking on Thursday for the third straight year. And basically I just do a rapid fire trip through all my travels and trying to stick to the promo seminar theme, just be like, well, here's something I saw that was really cool, quirky, funny, interesting. And maybe it's just funny and ridiculous, but maybe it's something that you might say, Hey, we could do that too. So I, I try to adhere to the theme. Ben, what's it like for you? Because you are exposed to more of this stuff during the season than anybody else in the country. And to go to the promo seminar and get to see not only all the people that you met during the season and, and reflect on some of the things that you saw, but to see that interaction between them. Um, because I think intuitively people would think, oh, it's a competitive industry. You don't want to give your you know your best ideas away. But that's not how it works in the minors because you're not directly competing. I mean, what works for a team in Myrtle Beach, for example, if that works for a team in El Paso, if that works for a team in Tacoma, if it works for a team in Colorado Springs, that just kind of is a rising tide for all boats. So for you to get to see that interaction, what's that experience like? Right. It's kind of like taking the taking the pulse of the industry every year um, and the timing of it. You know, the season just ended. It feels like, you know, I was just on the road a couple weeks ago, which I guess I was. I mean, the playoffs just ended barely more than a week ago. So it's kind of like taking the pulse of the industry. Okay, the season ended. And it's kind of a chance, maybe a little cathartic, for everyone to see each other and be like, ooh, you know, how was your year? That's what you say to people when you run into them here. You know, how was your year? Because you haven't necessarily seen them over the year. Uh, so it's a chance for everyone to come together, you know, renew old ties. As you know, there's a lot of uh, turnover in the industry and a lot of people bouncing from team to team. So you might see people who you knew when you worked for another team. You might make connections that might you know, smooth the road to your next job. Um, it's really important for the industry to all come together because everyone is in their own world, you know, working feverishly throughout the season. So to have the promo seminar to kind of take a step back and take stock of what works and what doesn't, and then also to have that opportunity at the winter meetings in a different format, you know, those are very important events because otherwise you're just kind of on your own island doing your thing. So it really helps for 
you know, the, all those islands to come together once in a while to form a, uh, a huge landmass. How's that for an analogy? <laughs> there you go. I like it. Yeah. And uh, to kind of send you off on this one, Ben, you know, how much of a celebrity are you at these things? I mean, you know, these are right up your alley. You are the MILB, you know, promo guy with your columns every, you know, week and going on all these trips. How, you know, how much of a kind of minor celebrity are you at, the, at this event? Well, in the time we've been speaking, an autograph line has formed. I'm just going to the Columbus Convention Center, and there's a line of like 12 or 15 people. They're waiting patiently right now. That's Ben Once Hill. Once in a while, yeah, once in a while they'll sign me a small security detail, like maybe some of the cocktail receptions and stuff like that when the, when the crowds get a little too sick. But for the most part, I can handle it on my own. Um, it's good to know that people love me because, hey, I'm on my own island too, and I need to be loved. There you go. I'm no getting the feeling that some of that was sarcasm. <laughs> no, there's no. I've never, I've never said anything sarca- sarcastic or untrue ever on this podcast in my writing or in my life. Anywhere else, including never. Just never have. Yeah, yeah including Matt Saban. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is Benjamin Hill. He's at the promo seminar right now in Columbus, Ohio, and you can follow Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. There, there's still stuff going up on the blog, wrapping up the 2015 road trips, and uh, there will be a lot more coming to the site as well from Columbus and elsewhere throughout the season. Ben, we'll let you get to your uh, your next group therapy session. Enjoy it. All right, I always enjoy my therapy sessions. They help me work out the issues. Our big thanks to Benjamin Hill for joining us from Columbus, Ohio, which is a place that I have never been, but I've always wanted to check out uh, ballpark, go catch a Clippers game. So one of these days, I'm going to have to do that because one of my favorite uh, minor league Twitter memories ever was I uh, a couple years ago uh, was playing MLB The Show. I created a player drafted by the Indians. I was playing in Akron. I tweeted something about how I had been just killing the ball and was really excited to get to at CLB Clippers. And they responded and said, when you get called up, send us a screenshot. And I thought that was amazing. <laughs> did you ever get called up? No, I never did. Okay. I, was say, I, remember, <laughs> I remember that happening and then never seen a follow-up. Never did. <laughs> but uh, big thanks to Ben, and uh, again, you can follow all of Ben's stuff uh, from the promo seminar and beyond, bensbiz.mlblogs.com or at bensbiz on Twitter. Um, it's award season in in the minor leagues. It'll be award season soon in the major leagues, and uh, some of our biggest are right on deck, Sam. Yeah, so what, what we've got coming up as we do every offseason is called the Milbies. Um, we don't have our own red carpet, unfortunately. Maybe some of you will be able to do that, but uh, what we get to do is – we get to have a staff vote, and then all you fans get to vote on uh, categories like best offensive player, best starting pitcher, best reliever, biggest breakout prospect, best team, uh, best organization, and then some of the more fun video categories. Um, so be on the lookout for that. We'll be discussing that. I think next week we'll be breaking down all the categories, all the nominees, um, kind of giving you, you know, our own little preview show for that, um, what to look for and what you can vote for as fans. So be on the lookout for that because it is coming up soon and uh, exciting to talk about that. It's It was such a fun season that getting to relive it will be uh, nearly as entertaining. So that's coming out here very soon, and uh, we'll talk to you guys about that next week. So until then, you can rate, review, subscribe to the show before the show on iTunes. You can give Sam a follow. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon. Minor League Baseball is at MILB, and Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. And until next week, uh, enjoy the postseason races in the big leagues, and we'll talk to you then. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.